Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast, the French Open special. I'm wearing orange specially. Just consider yourself lucky that you can't actually see it. Um, I'm joined, as always, by George Belshaw. George, how are you? I'm very well. I'm, I'm mildly anxious that um, I'm going to get a call during this podcast telling me my bike's been repaired. So oh, that's, that's exciting. That's my nervousness throughout. So hopefully it doesn't cut off the recording. That's all I'm hoping. Oh, OK. Yeah, of course, because you're on your phone. Interesting. Uh, Calvin, how are you? Any any exciting calls scheduled for this afternoon? Uh, <laughs> none whatsoever. Um, I rarely get exciting calls anyway. So it's, it, would, it would seem exciting. <laughs> Would seem extremely unlikely if I got one while we're recording. <laughs> uh, we'll be discussing everything French Open today. Of course, we're recording uh, midway through the second week, um, but we'll be talking about Roger Federer, uh, Serena Williams, Coco Goff, Arena Sabalenka, Daniil Medvedev, fantasy tennis, uh, wheelchair tennis, the grass court season getting underway, and a bit of mixed doubles as well. But we can only really start with one man because he, he dominated things for a couple of days. That is Roger Federer. He withdrew. He became yet another top-level tennis star to withdraw from the French Open tennis uh, for reasons other than losing a match. Uh, he, I suppose, like Naomi Osaka, withdrew uh, through injury. Uh, he beat Dominic Kupfer in the third round in four pretty hard-fought sets. Uh, was due to take on Matteo Berrettini in uh, a match I think we're all really looking forward to, and subsequently withdrew. He said he had to listen to his body, and that that was enough for him. Uh, George, I, I know you've been off and therefore didn't have to worry about it too much, but I imagine, <laughs> ha- however you found out about it, you were somewhat surprised when he pulled out. Um, I, I mean, I'd seen the comments he'd made the night before, and at that stage I was like, he's definitely pulling out. As soon as Federer suggests he's going to withdraw... Nine times out of ten, he he does actually follow through. Um, so yeah, I wasn't that surprised by the time it actually happened. Um, 
I mean, he seemed a bit surprised he'd won any matches, really, judging from mm. the tone of his press conference. Um, and I kind of just think he thought, well, I, I've got three matches under my belt. And that he was viewing this as a kind of warm-up tournament for the grass, which hasn't gone down well in some corners of Twitter. But I'm sure most of us can kind of realistically see his point of view where he's saying, I'm definitely not going to win the French Open. I'd rather have these few matches, get a proper week's rest, get going in Halle, get the confidence there, and then go on to Wimbledon. So understandable, but obviously always a shame when he pulls out, and especially as that proves to be his last ever time at the French Open, which I know some people are trying to throw down our throats. So we'll see if that happens as well. I mean, I am one of those people. I think he has played his last <laughs> French Open, but anyway. Uh, Calvin, I, I know this this must happen, and I think it happened uh, when you were out in Greece for the week when someone retired before the final because they just didn't fancy the matchup or the courts. But um, do you think it's fair, you know, when players walk out of a tournament having just knocked someone out? Dominic Kirkfer, I imagine, feels a bit miffed. I always think that's a bit dodgy, yeah, especially in this one, because it doesn't really matter to Federer. I kind of get it in certain circumstances, like at the lower levels in futures, it will happen because ranking points are such a scarcity that you wouldn't want to give up that ranking point if you're about to win. Even even if you know you're pulling out, there's money at stake and there's ranking points at stake, So and you'd get neither of that if you pulled out when you were winning. Mm. Um, I guess in, in Federer's situation, it doesn't really make any difference <laughs> at all um, no. if he'd have done that, but... Um, I mean, in his slight defence, it may be something that you don't think... I very much doubt he was thinking about it while he was playing. I think he mm. probably focused on winning the match. I don't think he's thinking at that stage, I'm going to I'm gonna withdraw, the adrenaline takes over, and he's probably immediately after he started thinking about it. I do have kind of... I kind of have a bit of sympathy with Federer on it. I, I, I'm not one for entitlement in any walk of life, but I think he deserves a bit better than being chucked on for a night match with no fans, and it was cold... I'd get it if there was fans in there. It's, it's the it's the prime match and that kind of thing. I just don't I don't get why they're doing night matches at this French Open before they can have fans in anyway. I don't see the point in it. It just seems a completely unless they unless I don't know maybe they have real good television figures in France for late matches. Um, well, I think uh, it may well be beyond that as well. Where I think it's eight o'clock start time UK, so nine p.m. local, which is three p.m. in the US. So you've got a right. better chance of on on the east coast, in the west coast. I suppose it's still sort of lunchtime, but you've got okay. a better chance of maybe collecting some of those. I imagine that's it. I do agree with you though. Why not just push it a year? Because because of the curfew, yeah. there were curfew in Paris at nine p.m. that lifts at midnight tonight. So actually, they are going to have I think five thousand fans in for tomorrow night's night match, which yeah. I assume yeah. is going to be Nadal. Am I right in thinking that, George? Does that sound about right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that that was initially primed as a Djokovic-Federer, wasn't it? The last Oh, night yes. Match. And it's actually um, going to be... I've just seen the order of play. With, um, it's Djokovic-Berrettini, Djokovic possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think as well something else, and I actually thought Andy Murray made a really sound point Um when he said that in tennis is kind of the only sport like this where if you if you if you're coming back from an injury in football you get phased in you have 20 minutes here you have half an hour and then same in basketball and cricket and that kind of thing tennis it's like there is none of that you go straight into the tournament and you're playing best of five um mm. it then raises the sort of strange idea of what i was thinking is like don't really get why federer played it um yeah he's, he's he's missed the french quite a bit i don't think he particularly likes the tournament i always get that tone from him that he doesn't like, I don't think he likes the fans, although he'd never say that. 
I don't think he likes the the organisers. He's, he's sort of quite dismissive, and he has been again here. But I don't get why he just wouldn't. There's plenty of build up that he can play on the. If he wants to build up for Wimbledon, he can play two weeks of tournaments before Wimbledon, yeah. get plenty of matches, and they're shorter matches. They're going to save his body. So it's such a, it's a strange one all round. I don't know if it came into his thinking a lot, but if you've heard about like what he's talking about winning this year, I mean, he kind of said Wimbledon. US and Olympics initially and I, I know the Olympics is now a little bit of a doubt given the kind of conditions there they're going to go and play in but if he didn't play the French Open this time he had semi-finals points dropping off I think um, from 2019 so he kind of in terms of getting a decent seeding for the US potentially that mm. kind of came into his thinking um, was kind of some of the reasoning I was thinking around it um, but also, I just think he needed some matches, didn't he? I mean, ideally, he'd have played a few more in Geneva um, and even before then. You know, he, he kind of came back in February, didn't he, really? Or, um, yeah. He played uh, Evo and then whoever he lost to, who's that's escaping my mind now, Basel yeah. Philly, that's it. Um, and then just kind of took a few months off. Uh, I don't know if there was a proper setback there or anything, but it seemed a bit strange to me. He didn't, as it was the thing we said at the time, like Madrid seemed the ideal one to go and play. Um mm in terms of the conditions being kind of closer to grass. Um, I think he's in a situation where he really doesn't know how his body is reacting to things. You know, I've said it about Tiger Woods. I've said it about Andy Murray. They're both in pretty unique situations because they're dealing with injuries and procedures that have never been used on professional athletes before, certainly not ones who are planning to come back. Now, Federer isn't in that situation, but he is in a situation where He's kind of in no man's land because he doesn't know how fit he is. Uh, my impression is that he doesn't know how he's going to feel the next day, you know, which is something that happens in your late 30s, right? Like, you can kind of get through stuff physically, and your big worry is, am I going to be able to get out of bed the next morning? And I feel like at the moment, Roger Federer, the man who hates ice baths, um, doesn't know how he's going to feel the next morning, and that's the real problem. And I think this is where the difference is going to come between grass and clay. I think Federer still backs himself to beat most people in three on grass, pretty clean, not too much weight on the body, served doing a lot of the work. I don't think he saw the kind of comparison between the physical toll he needed to kind of win clay court matches. You know, that kept, it was a pretty tough match for him, really. Um, I, I'm sure he'd kind of feel he's going to be avoiding that sort of match and because he moves so well on grass it's definitely less load on the knee than how he, you know having to play on clay um, so I, I'm sure that's coming into his thinking as well I actually thought he looked pretty good as well against Kirkford I thought like at the mm. start of the week I think he, he's looking a bit rusty a bit ropey but I thought as the match went on against Kirkford it's strange this scoreline kind of made it look always seem a bit closer than it was um, but I actually thought he looked the best definitely the best since for a couple of years, that's not saying much. He hasn't played most of them, but he looks way better than he did against Evo or against Bachelors Philly. Um, he's one of those awkward players. There's this group of players around now who play the sort of same way as like this, these left-handers who have this kind of no-pace, flicky, loopy cross-court forehand that right-handers absolutely despise because it kind of comes high, high-ish with no pace and breaks the sideline. You've got Kerpfer, Nishioka, Nori. Um, I'm thinking there's another one. Um, and even even in the futures when I was in Greece there's an Israeli lad who plays like that and just no one wants to play them on, on the slow course <laughs> they, they don't always win there's better players than them they're just nightmares to play against because you end up having to generate pace off your own backhand off high balls 
which players just don't like doing. Hmm. Yeah, he, I thought he, I think you're right, Calvin. I think you said it actually uh, in our WhatsApp group that he was always going to warm into the week, and I think he did. And I think yeah. he was a much better player in that third round than he was in in the first round. And and as you say, he's barely played in two years. So I suppose that's inevitable. I was disappointed that he pulled out because I think if you enter a tournament that's two weeks long, you should do that only if you think you can play for two weeks. And I don't think, as you said, George, I don't think he expected to play for two weeks. And I think he knew that he couldn't have done. I think I think in his heart of hearts and potentially in some private meetings, when they sat down on Thursday before the draw and said, you know, how are we feeling? And he said, well, yeah, I can maybe play, play the first week. And we all said, this is, this is what Roger wants to do. He wants to go to Paris and play the first week and then bugger off and get his grass shoes out. So I have some sympathy because he didn't mean to win, but equally, <laughs> yeah, like, like, you know. Goddamn, just being so good at tennis that I have to win. <laughs> it's such a shame. I don't, know who the, I don't know who the last alternate was not to get in, uh, and I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but he has effectively taken whatever first round prize money is, you know, 40 grand off that person. And I think when you, when you look at it that way, it has quite a different lens to it. I know, I know that's quite a sort of reductive way of viewing things, but Roger's only concerned with Roger's affairs, and, and I suppose that's inevitable in individual sport, but I do feel a little bit like you knew what you were getting into. Like, it's not a surprise that this tournament was going on two weeks. It's not, it's not a French Open change. I agree with the principle, and it happens a lot where I work, and I always get angered by it as well. But at the same time, if it, if it's you as a player or if it's one of my players it's and they go, I need some matches and I think I can probably do two or three, then you're always going to do it. It's one of yeah. those. You're not going to sort of think about what's going on below. It, it, you just wish there was some... I guess it's one of the things where, I, where I was, I've been reading a couple of uh, books about sort of tennis in the 70s and 80s and it seems like you have these exhibitions that go on. They're almost competitive exhibitions and I guess in the old days they would have played them instead of enter tournaments but now yeah. the players they the exhibitions now are just a bit of when they have them they're just a joke players playing shots through their legs and and that kind of thing but they don't really have them anyway and, and and again we come back to this situation is what what do you do if you're looking to get back match fit and, and with a schedule so tight as it is what what do you actually play in it's it's not again it's not like football where you can come in and do 20 minutes half an hour and it doesn't affect anything there's some um, there's always been a group of uh, commentators who've called for players who withdraw from a round to actually let kind of have a lucky loser come back in into the draw further through. What what are your thoughts on that? I've always been kind of against it naturally, but I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm against it. Can I tell Can I tell a story from my own very average playing <laughs> career as to why I'm against it? So there's, 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 one, there's one time when. I was playing in the Yorkshire Championship, right? And, <laughs> the big um, one. The, the, bit, the Yorkshire Championship was, was pretty big. Um, and... <laughs> I wonder what that was then. <laughs> um, so, so basically, I don't know whether you remember, but there basically there was a player who was just a fantastic player called Dave Sherwood. Was, both his parents were Olympic uh, medalists and he had the best genes of any tennis player ever. But Dave didn't play uh, the Yorkshire Championships very often. 
Um, so anyway, going off in Leeds, the Yorkshire Championships were going on and um, I've got to the quarterfinals uh, of the Yorkshire Championships and my opponent, who I was meant to play, withdrew. And this mm. was like, this, this tournament was a 64 draw. So I'd already won three matches by that stage. Uh, and the, 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 so the quarterfinal, they used to get quite a few fans there when it was, it was held at uh, Chapel Allerton, which is a nice club in Leeds. And it used to be run by the Yorkshire governing body. So um, my opponent pulled out, so that was me in the semis. Um, and then it was brought up to me that, oh, it's county week next week and players need to, and Dave Sherwood needs some match time. So we're thinking about bringing Dave Sherwood in to play you. And I was like, <laughs> like what, at, at the quarters? <laughs> and then it, was, it was like, well, you know, we need matches on corks. People are coming to watch it. And Dave needs some matches before county week. I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely, not. absolutely zero chance that that's happening. And I ended up getting into a huge row with them. And I didn't just say I ended up winning the row. But like, so no, I, I don't like this idea, George. <laughs> what you bring them? It, it digs up old wounds for me. If I'm perfectly honest, so just just bring in players like in through the draw. Like you just can't do it. It's, it's one of those. Like, um, but um, I mean, Dave was at the time he was ranked like 250 in the world. He won a round at Wimbledon. Yeah, so... I, we're we're gonna have to have some conversations about David Sherwood because I've just looked at his Wikipedia article and he looks like a character. Uh, he's he's a good mate of mine. He was uh, and he, he he didn't reach his full potential, and it breaks my heart because he was phenomenal. Dave yeah. was absolutely for. I've and people say this in British tennis. We we have never had an athlete as good as Dave Sherwood um, in in British tennis. And he played. He, he came um, the first time I ever saw him, and this was pre-internet, obviously. Um, he came to the Yorks Championships. We were joking aside, the Yorks Championships were a, a huge event. They were probably bigger than the Nationals at the time. Um, and you didn't know about players. Results weren't on the internet and that kind of thing. And Dave came and won the 14s and the 16s when he was still 13. Um, wow. And it was unheard of. And it was genuinely like RoboCop had turned up to play um, everyone else it, it, it was ludicrous but he, he was a phenomenal tennis player and for one reason or another didn't didn't reach the potential and, and it, it does break my heart on it do we know the uh the name of the player he beat in the first round of Wimbledon um it was a I was there I was in uh, I used to travel with him I used to, it was early in my coaching career um I used to do traveling with Dave it was a Brazilian I can't remember his name Ricardo Melo and he lost in the second round to Feliciano Lopez, who then went yeah. on to beat Safin and Ancic in the next two yeah. rounds, having already mm-hmm. taken out Filipuzis and our good friend Paradorn Shishapan, who you might remember ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from another uh, episode. So good running for Dave, Lopez, that. I also think Dave's one of the only British players who has a winning record against Andy Murray. Ah, okay. Mm. He also made his Davis Cup debut alongside Andy Murray. In Israel. Yeah, in the, in the, uh, in the doubles. Well, there we go. There's a, a, a tangent I wasn't expecting to spit. <laughs> that wasn't Very... in the notes, was it? That no, no. But always fill on a you know in a quiet week like this when there's not a lot going on. Always good to fill a bit of time with other stuff. Um, let's talk about Serena Williams, shall we? Uh, because I wrote several pieces last week saying that Serena Williams would never get a best chance to win the French Open or any 24th Grand Slam. I, I stand by that. She will never get a better chance and. Quite frankly, George, do you think it's overstating it to say she blew it? Um, oh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, if you, before the tournament, we all said 
she's got absolutely no chance of winning this. Yeah. And then I, I, I kind of see her in a similar position to Federer and just I didn't back her to get through seven matches as much as anything. Um, yeah. You know, Federer's obviously got bigger opponents in his way, but she kind of played the match that Federer probably would have ended up playing in the fourth round, really, um, against mm-hmm. Berrettini, where she wasn't quite there, wasn't quite good enough to play a player who had already come through three rounds pretty well. And, um, you know, Ribakina, she was in really, really good form before the pandemic. Um, She was someone who looked like she was kind of ready to take the next step towards, you know, pushing, knocking on the door of top 10 almost. Um, So I think perhaps she might have been a little underestimated from the kind of wider um, media in terms of not knowing the kind of niche tennis uh, knowledge, etc. But, yeah, I mean, look, you're looking at those names in that bottom half. It's it, it's pretty poor, really. I mean, like poor in terms of play, players who've they've never been there. They're, they're not. You look at Paola Bedosa today, who I was getting suitably wound up about, as I'm sure we'll come on to earlier in fantasy tennis. But you know, there's no way Bedosa should have been losing to Zizansek. But because it's a new experience. It's a whole new mental ball game for all these players, and you just thought if Serena could stick in, you know, keep herself in these matches, she'd have a chance to win because um, she'd they beat mentally them before they would on court. She's... Collapse, yeah. And Rybakina is a little bit different because she's got such a big game, and it was one of those days where she could just hit through it and played really well. But you know, if she kept it a little bit tighter, would she have mentally gone through? I don't know. But yeah, tough one. We're never expecting her to win, so it feels kind of harsh to beat her with that stick and say, oh, you've done terribly. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it was a chance. Calvin, you've always said that you don't think she has the physicality to win a slam anymore just to get through the two weeks. Is this now what we're going to see? We're going to have this experience again. She'll get to a fourth round, play someone she should beat and not have the legs to get through it? Um, it's, it, it doesn't come as a massive surprise to me because I think it's the same thing that keeps happening. She's still got fantastic serve. She's still got maybe the best serve in the women's game. If she can set and hit, she still hits the ball, I think, probably as hard, if not harder, than anyone else. But two, there are two problems are she can't move anymore. You can see mm-hmm. that whenever I watched the match against Robert Keener, and whenever she got her on the run, it was, it was game over. It was point over, and she was always a fantastic mover. There was no question about that. Um, and also, she just seems so mentally frail now. Like, she can't, she's always seems to be, a, she's always been a bit of a drama queen. But even when she was good, but it, but now it seems like she's on the verge of tears all the time, or on the verge of some sort of panic attack or something all the time. And I I, I just I can't see. I just think this will keep happening. Her serve and her ground strokes when she's not moving will get her so far, and then at some stage in the seven matches, somebody will just run her around. It'll get close, and she won't be able to withstand it. Uh, again, it's kind of similar to Federer, isn't it? I mean. She needs to serve perfectly at Wimbledon to win it, but that that's the the place it could potentially happen, um, if anywhere. But I, I'm with you. I, I particularly the way she was dismantled by Halep at Wimbledon in that final. I mean, Halep, not traditionally a great grass court player, went yeah. through her so easily. I just think there's a certain caliber of player who who go through her in a in a semi final and a final. Um, that said, if this if she gets this draw at Wimbledon. She should reach the final still, um, but on the clay, as you say, the movement's just not there, I and mean, she can't dominate with the serve as she can, I think, still on grass. But yeah, it's it's not looking good. I, I certainly wouldn't be wagering much on her to uh, win another one, to be honest. 
And it's going to be interesting, Wimbledon, because it comes so quickly after the French Open. And I understand that there's quite a few, well, there are, I'm told, plural of the top 10 players in the world will arrive at Wimbledon with a different coach from the one that they have arrived at the French Open with. Um, Naomi Osaka probably won't arrive at all. I'd be surprised if Simona Hallett plays, quite frankly. I know that she's trying, but a calf tear is a calf tear. And even if she does play, I don't think she'll be fully fit. And we've talked before about what Simone Halep can or can't do. So I don't think it'll be much less of an opportunity for her. Um, frankly, Coco Goff looks like one of her biggest threats at, at Wimbledon at this stage. Uh, she seems to have come of age a little bit uh, in Grand Slam tennis. She's through to the quarterfinals. She is on track to play uh, Iga Svontek in the semifinals. I don't want to dwell on this too much because it will happen quite soon. And I think we can say more about it after it happens, if it happens the way we think it might. Um, Calvin, in a few words, does Goff have any chance of upsetting Svantec in the semis? Um, I, I think that Svantec will win, but yeah, Goff's got a chance. I think she's she's got a chance against anybody now. I think she'll she'll win one in the next eighteen months, two years. She might win one here. That tends to happen in the women's game where the players win them before you think they're ready. Nobody, we all thought Svantec was a great player last year, but none of us picked her to win win a Grand Slam. Mm. Um, and I think that's Goff. Goff will she'll win she'll win multiple slams, and I think it will come now. What she she will think that she can beat Svontek, uh, but I, I do still make Svontek favourite for the title. I, I said I, th- I think she might go two years without losing a set. I, just a brief tangent here because we've mentioned Svontek and Krejcikova. I can't say her name. Krejcikova. Um, they're both still in the doubles as well. Calvin, we discussed in the WhatsApp group that it's not that unusual to um, to play doubles in the women's game in slams and, and get deep in both. But it's a little bit of a surprise to have two who are in the semi-finals of the, the doubles and the quarters of the singles. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? I don't think it normally happens. As we said, like the, the Williams sisters used to do it, but they were a bit of an anomaly. Um, Barty has done it until recently, but I don't, I don't know if she's still playing doubles since she started being so good at singles. Um, mm. I'm not sure on that. Um, I guess it tends to happen a little bit more with the women's because we have these shocks coming through into the latter stages who you don't expect. So some of the Chinese have done it, that kind of thing. I mean, Shea um, has got gone deep in a couple of slams, hasn't she? And mm. I think it, it tends to happen more like that, whereas in the men's, the t- also the, the women's, the doubles, play- you don't have so many doubles specialists in inverted commas. You tend to have these these girls who are ranked about 50 and still play doubles as well to a high level. Yeah. Whereas men's, most of the players now, they're just doubles players. You don't have Robert Farah uh, reaching the quarterfinals <laughs> of, of, of the US Open or something like that. Or Jamie Murray sneaking a semi down at Roland Garros or, or something like that, do you? So I guess that's why it doesn't happen so much in the men's. Although it's coming a bit in, you know, like I guess Rublev and Hatchinov always seem to play together. Um, mm. That kind of and thing. And Karatsev, so. Karatsev's still playing doubles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, although I maybe his his pan is stuff. I think I, I think that though tends to be like it, it's kind of a bit of force of habit because up until up until competing at the latter stages of the major tournaments, most players will play both just mm. because of the prize money. Um, yeah, it, 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 you know, right through single, right through futures, challengers, early tour level, they'll always tend to play doubles as well. Um, it's only when you start making so much money that you, can, you, you start wanting your afternoon sessions off, um, <laughs> that, that stops happening. 
we could talk a bit about Arena Sabalenka and that wasted chance. I, I would like to talk about her in a bit more depth, so, so we'll maybe move past it. Um, Novak Djokovic is still in the tournament, unlike all the other men that we've talked about so far. Uh, we had a kind of reckoning day for Italian tennis uh, earlier in the week when Lorenzo Mazzetti and Yannick Sinner both took on all-time greats. Uh, Mazzetti got himself two sets up against Novak Djokovic. He won two tie breaks. Djokovic then went off court, uh, changed his clothes, came back a changed man, uh, sartorially <coughs> and literally. Uh, he then rattled off something like 16 of the next 17 games. Mazzetti, well, we thought he was injured, but he says afterwards that he wasn't injured. He was just goosed. Um, <laughs> George, uh, you... This has to be regarded as a missed opportunity, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, while I was watching that match, I always was thinking back to that Novak quote where he was just saying, I actually love playing the younger guys at slams. Like, they can definitely beat me in two of three, but I know when they're going to over, kind of overdo it. And you just kind of saw with him, that, you know, we were kind of saying he, he seems a bit flat, a bit weird here. Like, he's not. Doesn't seem he that was very, very flat in the first two sets. But as it kind of transpired, he just took himself off court, which I know draws enough drama as it is um, when players go and take 10-minute breaks. It does kind of wind a lot of people up. But you know, he just steadied himself, said to Massetti, right, you're not going to carry on doing this. There's no way you, having just played your first five-set match in the previous round, are going to come at that level over five against me. And yeah, he completely dropped off and you know, okay, Massetti yeah, may not be an injury. He said he was cramping a little bit, didn't he? But He said you know, he was cramping it's... and he had a bit of a back injury, but it wasn't an injury that made him retire. It was just yeah. that he didn't think he could win anymore. F- Federer wouldn't be very pleased with him for pulling out. He just, <laughs> he just said, you've got to go through the final two games. But um, yeah, I think right. we, we all knew where it was going anyway. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it didn't change the, the result per se, but it did disappoint me a little bit. Um, I don't. I mean, we've talked about Yannick Sinner, and we'll maybe discuss him a little bit in a moment. We've talked about his attitude and how he is a a real competitor and a real, you know, geek for tennis. I don't know much about Lorenzo Mazzetti's attitude per se or his attitude towards tennis. Is it a bit disappointing that he would he would retire, frankly, because he felt he was losing? Um. Yeah, I know people who know him. Um, let's say that he's always been one who say he enjoys himself. Right. And, um, to quote our man, <laughs> to quote our man Frew McMillan, he enjoys a female companion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is has now working its way into the sort of public discourse of how we refer to that type of thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if I'd like it to. Just for, for the record, when Frew McMillan said that, I thought it was one of the worst pieces of TV commentary I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> um, but, so Lorenzo Mazzetti, you know, Yannick uh, Sinner is obsessed with tennis. Yeah. I remember Alexander Bublik saying to him, when I was his age, I was out having a beer. Yannick Sinner doesn't do that. The implication is Lorenzo Mazzetti perhaps does live like a lot of teenagers and, and therefore isn't necessarily as dedicated to the art at this point in his career. I, I, don't know, I don't know if there's an issue with his dedication. I mean, he's always been a bit like that. He's always played a lot of drops. He's been very flashy. He's, he's maybe the most Italian man ever. Uh, <laughs> the, most, the, the most Italian tennis player ever in every, in every single regard, I guess. Yeah. Um, which which Sinner isn't actually maybe Fognini's that, um, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was 
it, it was phenomenal. I, I, I didn't watch it live. Uh, I watched the replay last night. It was phenomenal in the first two sets. I thought it was pretty poor after that, um, yeah. regardless of anything else, regardless of it being against Djokovic, regardless of his form going. You can't be you can't be winning one game in three sets after you've won the first two sets. I mean, Djokovic came back a different player, but come on, that that's pretty pathetic what he came in after that. And then to basically go, did he say something like he retired because he couldn't win a point? Well, I'll I'll read you exactly what he said. He said, "Do you have some?" The question was, "Did you have some kind of injury, or was it just a physical toll of the match?" He said, "No, no, no. It's not an injury. It's well, just a little bit of cramps and a little bit of lower back pain. I was not able to win a point anymore, and so was not really." <laughs> Grateful also for the crowd was there, so I decided to retire. There was no chance that I could win a point, so I decided to retire because I think it was the best thing to do it. Uh, I mean, like you say, it doesn't come to anything. I'm I'm not so fussed about the retirement, which I I, I do think it's a bit rubbish, but I'm mm. not fussed about that. Just more about his complete total collapse from two yeah. sets to, two sets to live up. And we've seen guys like this before. Like We've seen young players. That, the two that always stand out to me with young guys playing against the best player in the world is Safin and Hewitt at the US Open, both against Sampras. And imagine if at two sets to live up, they both have just gone really crap from there. Mm. It, it, it's, it just showed a bit of, well, a lot of immaturity. And he tapped out. And I, I yeah. wouldn't be happy with that if I was his coach. And it's a shame to finish on this note, isn't it? Because, I mean, this was his first yeah. Grand Slam main draw, I think I'm right in saying. First ever um, Grand Slam main draw. First Grand Slam, and he's gone to the fourth round. So, you know, it's been a pretty good run. First ever five-setter the round before, beating Cecinato, um, beating Goffin round one. You know, he's, Bagel, he's done really Bagel well. Goffin in his first ever main draw set. Yeah. So, it, it feels harsh to rip on. And he was such a good watch, wasn't he? I mean, those mm. first two sets... The previous round, some of the trick shots he made against Cecchinato were absolutely <laughs> astonishing. I mean, yeah. he's going to be a crowd pleaser, whatever he does in his career. Uh, it'd yeah. be interesting because he, he's got the talent. You know, I heard a few people on the commentary, which I think was perhaps a bit over the top, kind of comparing him to Federer in terms of the natural ability. But it, it, it's going to be interesting whether he dedicates himself to go on to have like a really top five career, which he's certainly capable of, or whether he sees himself more as a, a Monfils Fonini where... It's going to be a great career. He's going to entertain so many people, but is he going to be a winner at the end of the day? Um, and that—that's that, where I, you know, that's where yeah, I kind of have to ask you questions after this sort of match. I, I think he'll be—he'll end up being not not just because he's got one hander. I think he'll end up having a similar career to Warinka, um, mm. that kind of thing. Where and he'd take that, with, wouldn't he? Three slams. Well, yeah, I mean, t- you know, two, three, four slams, uh, doing some other good stuff, but also being horrendously inconsistent in some of the, the other stuff and losing early on, that kind of thing. Uh, they play similar ways. They're both shot-making, one-handed guys. Um, yeah. So, But I think other than that, that's that's what, how I would see him being. Without wanting to, again, get, get too tangential, I think that the 3-4 slam model, I think someone who's won three or four slams in the last 15 years is someone who might win six or seven in the next mm. 15 years. Because you won't have these three guys just mopping up every single slam title. Um, I mean, that's kind of um, a discussion for another day. But I just wonder whether whether that that kind of model of player might change. I, I think it's interesting as well. How like yesterday I was only thinking. I've thought about this before. But when when people say like about Nadal slams, what he's twenty now, isn't he? Twenty, yeah, yeah, yeah twenty. And they go, but you know, there's what thirty? Is it thirteen at the French or twelve? Yeah. 
13 now. You know, but when they're talking about the greatest ever, they go, yeah, 13 of them are the French, right? If you take away all of Nadal's French Open titles, right, so Nadal still has seven, that still puts him, like, in the top seven or eight players ever. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and that's not including any of his French. So, yeah. you, you know, yeah. it, it's not an inconsequential amount having seven others. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's like saying, okay, let's take away Borg six at the French end, shall we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's just such a silly, pointless argument. Like he's still yeah. obviously hitting like Becker's heights at the other three slams, or Mac- yeah. I mean, McEnroe won seven, didn't he? As well, um, mm. Becker yeah, six, I mean, McEnroe yeah. seven. Maybe point, point, yeah. pointless argument concerning the big three in men's tennis. You know, this is a large topic. There are not many. <laughs> um, let, let's move on because we are a little bit pressed for time. Uh, let's talk about our favourite match of the tournament so far. I know what mine is. Uh, George, do you have one in mind? I'm, I'm worried I'm going to pinch yours because I think yours is a favourite for fantasy. I was going to say Davidovich Fakina versus Rude. Yeah, well, um, that's the answer. That's why. That, that's that's, just, that, that is the correct but, answer. But, I'll, um, but I, my, my favourite one from a, um, a fantasy perspective, so I'll allow you your one because you, it meant more to you than me. Uh, that Davidovich Fakina <laughs> one. Thanks, George. Um, Not patronising yeah. at all. <laughs> but there was a great one with Garin. Um, I'm trying to remember who we were playing now. It was oh, brilliant. Good. Good. This is, this is great. <laughs> you know, it's the one I, I, I watched McKenzie the first two sets. Yeah, that's it. I watched the first two sets in the office and I left the office swearing and cursing that Garin, why on earth did I pick Garin over Sinner and whatever? That was so foolish. Mm. And then I cycled home and he's clawed his way back in the third he clinches the fourth i'm thinking oh he's gonna roar on win this easily in the fifth and it was just the nerviest it was really really entertaining kind of finish. Eight, eight, both six of them the, eight six, eight, six in the fifth, fifth. Yeah. um super um then there were How a few but dosa matches as well like that that were pretty pretty tense finishes although the one today didn't go my way and i wasn't very mm. pleased with that one <laughs> that was my that was my uh, least favorite match in the tournament that one Calvin, maybe you can be a bit more level-headed and less fantasy-motivated. Have you got a, a favourite match um, so far? I, I've, I've not watched many of them beginning to end, although I did watch the um, the last set of the women's doubles with uh, Shrontek and Matic Sands, where I think they were 5-1 mm. down um, and came back to win that one on a tie-break. Um, also, I forget who was playing, but Nishikori had a five-set of early doors. Yes, against uh, Hatchinov. That's it. That was actually, another yeah. another of my um, favourites, fantasy yeah. wise. I mean, it was it's a bit it was a bit it was it was good, but also we have to bear in mind that that uh, Nishikori doesn't lose five set matches, um, and <laughs> ha- and Hachinov doesn't win close matches. So it was kind of a bit of a uh, we knew who where that was going before the end, but um, yeah. it was it was decent level for drama. The the Davidovich Fakina one for me really yeah that was head and shoulders above the rest. I mean, the, the finish of that was unbelievable like yeah it was a brilliant brilliant end to give it a bit of context i mean davidovich fakina as you mentioned i picked him in fantasy because he's had a good clay court season he had a lovely draw and he had i mean he's also someone i think a bit like Mizetti, who we're really going to enjoy watching over the next couple of years he likes all surfaces he i think he played wimbledon boys i don't know if he won wimbledon boys but he he, anyway he likes grass he likes clay He's a decent hardcore player as well. He went to five with Botic van der Zandschloop in the second round. And I was watching that and um, like he just went to bits in the fourth set. <laughs> he, lo- he, lost the- he went two sets up. He lost the third set, got a bit annoyed. 
and then just completely lost his head in the fourth set. And I tweeted, good match going on, Davidovich, Kina, van der Zandsloop, high Scrabble scores. Also, Fakina has no chance of winning the fifth set. And he promptly pulled it out of the bag. Um, it was completely remarkable. And, and also looked completely knackered. Uh, and then came back two days later to play rude, got bageled in the fourth set. At which point, you know, if you lose a fourth set, six love, you're not expecting to win the match. <laughs> and, and then proceeded to pull out. I mean, he hit an underarm serve when serving <laughs> for the match in the fifth set of the French Open. It, it was on break point, wasn't it, I think? I yeah, think I'm right in saying he was break, break point down. down. And he got, he got asked up in press afterwards, and he just said, well, it was the right thing to do. So, and it worked. <laughs> and, and someone said, what were you thinking? And he said, well, I wasn't thinking, I just did it. <laughs> Which I, I kind of love. I think he's someone who's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, he was born, his father was a boxer uh, in Russia, who's like dual nationality Swedish-Russian, and then moved to Spain, and Davidovich Fikina was born in Spain. Um, and I just think he's going to be a really interesting player. He's fiery, he's got a lot of shots. I don't think he's going to win a slam necessarily. I think he's going to be the kind of guy who you really don't want to draw in the second round of the Roland Garros or something. Um, I'm hoping he gets a tasty draw at Wimbledon because I'd like to actually go and watch him live. He's is, is he also the guy though who has the worst serving record in the top 100? That I mean, he, he is a bad server. I don't know. The I stats. think I think <laughs> the reason the reason I saw this it was something in some article I read about our uh, friend Petros Tsitsipas. Oh, yeah. Who in his <laughs> you uh, are obsessed in, in his um, in his main draw match which he played he played I think it was Davidovich Fakina who has the worst serving stats in the top one hundred and right. I think he won five points on Davidovich Fakina's <laughs> serve in that whole match <laughs> um, so yeah. that might be a problem well maybe well but unless he makes the underarm a bigger part of his game maybe maybe that's the answer just to play. A bit more uh, underarm serve tennis, but yeah, he there, he will be interesting. There was a guy, there's a lad who played in the futures where I was in Greece last week, an Italian lad. He's a very talented uh, lad called Bellucci, and he last week we counted he did 13 underarm serves in one match. <laughs> <laughs> how many? Oh. How many did he win? Um, he he didn't win some some of them that I saw, but we also Luke <laughs> I was with pra- practiced with him uh, in Germany on the clay. And I'm not kidding. In the practice set, he must have he must have attempted forty drop shots in in, <laughs> in, in one set. Um, but yeah, uh, and he has a coach. His coach is is one of the the great characters I've ever seen. He, he's the most emotional man I've ever seen. So every time he wins a point, even if it's the opponent hitting a double fault, he's standing up going, <laughs> "Bravissimo, fantastico!" <laughs> um, and it was I mean it was a bit below brow, but he is. I said Mossetti is the most Italian player ever. This guy is the most southern Italian man you will ever come across. It's That's the how they team up then. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that, yeah, thir- 13 underarm serves he attempted and in the practice set, I think he must have tried. But, but 40 drop shots, I reckon. <laughs> Excellent. Um, right, we're going to move on to, to Matters Fantasy. I appreciate we haven't talked up things like the potential Djokovic-Nadal semi-final or the latter stages of the men's and women's draw. Um, it's because I, I want to talk about them after they've happened, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> and just enjoy them without worrying about what I've decided to put my neck out and, and predict 
And we've also got a track record for previewing matches that never happen. <laughs> uh, so, so let's just let Djokovic... That's why I was throwing in the Krejcikova line earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, in fantasy matters, it's all very tight at the top. Uh, Chenny, Jay Chen, has a half-point lead. Um, as I thought might happen, that the teams are all kind of... Um, homogenised a little bit, which means there are basically a, a lot of things riding on one or two players. So Chenny has a lead of half a point over Helen K. Garner, but Helen K. Garner, I think, can't win because she's covered. Basically, he has all the players that she has left and more. Um, the only real challenger that I can see, one of two people, Ian Peter Reed, uh, who's going very well, he's got Maria Sakari. So if Maria Sakari goes mm. deep, uh, that could throw him above Chenny. Um, is the other is one she Sviontek next, Sakari? Yes, she, exactly. She's got Sviontek in the quarterfinals. So it's a, bit of a, problem. a good match, that, though. Yeah, it would be, certainly be good to watch. Um, and Sam Jacot is in fourth place. He's only two points behind. Um, but he's got the differential of Coco Goff. So if she mm. goes really deep and potentially wins it, uh, then we could be in for a tight finish. Um, good to see a couple of shout-outs. Stu Fraser, the Times tennis correspondent, uh, his ability to back Brits and also not back Brits because he picked Serrano today <laughs> at the beach, Joe Conta, uh, is working out while he's in seventh. Um, in terms of present company, it's incredibly close. Uh, George, you and I are tied on 30 points. And but but both... I can't go above you now, can I? After Badosa's bottling earlier. That's a good point, actually, because we both have Nadal, Tsitsipas, and who's your other player remaining? Oh, Shvontek. Do you have Coco Goff as well? You don't have Coco Goff. Okay. Well, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to beat you then, unless unless well, Tina and Goff There's a decent chance we'll all end up on the same point, potentially. Oh, actually, I don't think Calvin could catch if his don't go through, but well, yeah, I don't see Davidovich fucking beating Zero. In 26th place, half a point behind us. But you know who could put the cat among the pigeons in the private podcast league? is Maria Sakari, who Calvin has and neither of us have. Yeah, he, he actually needs to support Sakari over his fiancé now. That's his, yeah. that's his way of victory. So that's his differential. Which is yeah. Interesting position. Mm. Um, I yeah, don't think so... he'll win as it happens, but we'll see. It'll be close. It's also interesting because, he, Calvin, you're level with the reigning champion, Andy Philpott. So uh, that would be a, an achievement to to beat him. But he can't he can't beat me um, <laughs> because he's I've got a year long battle with him and another yes. friend which I've I've officially clinched, um, okay. which I'm very pleased about. So we're at one all for round. our year long championship. Um, congrats to everyone uh, who's taken part. There are only three. I mean, no one has no players left. Um, really? So, yeah, that's uh, amazing. There are a few people. On, <laughs> there are a few people on one. Uh, including George, two members of your family. <laughs> Henry and Lizzie both only have one left. Um, who else? A. R. Irvine. You've only got one player left. Did pick Roger Federer, which is a bit bold. Um, who else? George Collins has only got Nadal left. The male dancer only got Djokovic left. And I tell you, who's in last place of everyone is. Someone called Changnoi274, <laughs> who I seem to remember, like, was doing quite well last time out. I believe he's a mate of yours, George, isn't he? He's actually my dad's, James. <laughs> <Is> he actually? 
<laughs> so I've got three family members doing incredibly poorly. Yeah, and I think and Maz. I think Maz is down there as well. She's my mum. So right. Uh, I, I yeah. think I think that might be like four of the bottom. I think <laughs> ten your dad. Your dad family has, members. Your dad has wrapped up the wooden spoon. I think he. <laughs> unless he'll Daniel be so Medvedev, pleased. Unless Daniel Medvedev outperforms Rafael Nadal, he is he is in. You know what? I, I'm looking at his picks as well, and he didn't do terribly. He picked some good players. He got unlucky. Mm. What are you going to do? Cash Cruel world fantasy tennis. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, a, a few bits of um, housekeeping to, to mention as well. Um, the grass court season's underway in Nottingham. Of course, Dan Evans in action yesterday beat Tanasi Kokonakis from a set down and then won two tie breaks. Looked pretty tense, to be fair. Um, Fran Jones, uh, who we obviously got quite excited about earlier in the year, uh, we understand she left the court on a w- in a wheelchair, um, which is not great news. She, she's had a little bit of a struggle. Was she struggling with the heat or was it cramp, George? Yeah, I think she kind of, um, I mean, they were saying it collapsed, but it was kind of change of ends. She was kind of lying down and just not feeling particularly well. I, I think she mm. completed the match. Though. I mean, I didn't watch it, but a few of the guys are up there in Nottingham. Report right. to be on it at the minute. Um, full full body cramp is how I'm having it described to me. Um, but yeah. we, wish, we wish her well. I mean, that does happen to young players, that the physicality of it sometimes you get the fluids wrong. So best of luck to her. Uh, better news for Brits in Paris. I mean, not very much, but um, Joe Salisbury is into the mixed doubles final with Desiree. I'm going cry check. I don't think that's how you pronounce it, but there's some W's and some Z's. Apologies, Desiree. <laughs> but I know she uh, certainly has worked with uh, Craig Veal, who's a, a friend of the pod. So congrats to them and best of luck. And also Alfie Hewitt, um, the prolific Alfie Hewitt. Uh, he is French Open champion uh, in the wheelchair singles. I believe that's his third French Open title uh, in four years. Uh, and he, he's also a two-time US Open champion. So congratulations to him. I assume, and I don't know this, I could be speaking out of turn, but that he will be heading to Tokyo this summer for the Paralympic Games. But um, I will have to check up on that. There's, there's, there's a bit of conjecture. Issue. With, yeah. Go on, Go on someone explain uh, Well, there's been quite a big issue about Alfie's, like... Um, like qualification in terms of what he's categorised as. I see. Um, it, it's been ongoing for quite a while, and I, I'm not actually sure of the latest, but he, he essentially wasn't um, hitting what the Olympic standards for his disability were. Mm. Um, we sound like a, I'm phrasing that incredibly poorly, but I, no, I, I know understand what, you what mean. I'm trying to say there. Essentially, the way the Paralympic Games works is he, they assess your, your, your disability and then categorise you so that you compete against people with similar conditions. Uh, and yeah, as you say, Alfie was ruled not to be in the in the sort of uh, category that he had expected to be, I think, or at least the one that he could compete in. And as far as I tell, this is something that's quite controversial in, in Paralympic sport. It's not something I, I know a huge amount about, but having spoken to one of the people who do, it, it's pretty, not arbitrary, but if you get decategorised or recategorised, there's very little you can do to kind of appeal that protest. Does that sound about right, George? Yeah, I mean, I know he certainly was, um, last time I spoke to him about it, was was appealing it um, or trying to. But yeah, I, you know, he he was kind of faced with the position where he'd like won the US Open and 
was kind of thinking, oh, my career is going to be over. Mm. Um, it wasn't even clear he was going to be allowed to kind of play on um, this year either. So, but yeah, I, I have to be honest, I haven't I haven't followed it much since then. Um, obviously, I the pandemic went... coming in slows things down as well. But I haven't seen him I, for I'd a while. I kind of wondered. I'd kind of wondered whether he'd appealed it and won it because it seemed quite a while ago now. It seems like more than a yeah. couple of years ago and he's still competing. So I wondered whether he'd, he'd got it overruled. I was like, well, definitely was it, in I've... New York when we spoke. Um, uh, so that I've... was the last time I was there, 2019. So it's a while ago. I assume as well, to be fair, that you, you are governed by different bodies. Like the, obviously the, the, um, the Paralympic body and, and the Grand Slam board are different associations and therefore you're kind of relying on on different bodies. Um, we'll, we'll maybe speak to Alfie. It would be quite good to get get him on um, at some point this summer uh, and talk to him more about it because he, he is. I mean, he is one of Britain's most successful tennis players. You know, he is a, uh, a multi. You think he's a five-time Grand Slam singles winner now? Uh, he's got multiple doubles titles under his belt as well. So, it'd be good to chat to him. Maybe, you know, potentially if he's going to head out to uh, to Tokyo or not. Um, I think that's potentially all we've got time for, unless, George, you have any other business, maybe some other family members doing really badly in something else? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, no. Very good. I think it, just by the looks of a quick look at Hewitt's situation, it seems it's been written that he's got a stay of execution and is allowed to compete until 2021 until it's kind of um, decided. So I'm not 100% sure if that includes the Paralympics but he, he's certainly allowed to keep playing on the tour until 2021 um, but I know, I know him playing on the tour was a threat as well so yeah definitely want to catch up with him about this summer when I see him next very good um, well thank you very much for joining as always George and Calvin uh, we'll be back next week in the um, the aftermath of the French Open final whoever that may be um, Rafa Nadal winning presumably um eager Tech winning presumably we could probably record it now actually just the, the post final podcast um but it'll be in your feed we hope on monday um please do leave us a rating and a review if you haven't already as always we, we really enjoy it give us a follow at love tennis pod for all your fantasy tennis needs as well as uh, the odd bit of banter i hesitantly say um but otherwise <coughs> please do stay safe and try and enjoy yourself Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.